do have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to open it to Luke chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew back in front of you. And if you don't have a hard copy of a Bible, uh, I would love to offer that to you as our Christmas gift to you. We really would love everybody to have a copy of the Word of God, uh, not just on their phone, but in, in real life in person. And, uh, and if you don't have one, we'd love for you to take that one home with you as our gift to you. Uh, we'd be glad to replace that for someone else next week. So we've been journeying through this Advent season, and if you haven't been with us, I'll just give you a real brief recap. We've been uh, looking at the themes of Advent as represented by the Advent candles on the Advent wreath. And so a few weeks ago, we began with the theme of love, with the core idea of the fact that Jesus loves us so much that he comes to us right where we are, in the middle of the mess of our lives, in the middle of our brokenness, and he doesn't come expressly to fix us. He comes to be with us. His love for us is so deep that he wants us more than he wants us in a certain shape or uh, uh, cleaned up in a certain way, as uh, Jessica referenced, this uh, love of God that meets us in the middle of our mess. And that then provided the foundation for the hope that we have in Jesus. And that uh, is really important because many of us hope for something, particularly because Jesus meets us in our mess. We hope that he cleans up our mess, right? That's the goal, that he would uh, do something. But our hope when it's in some outcome is often frustrated because God doesn't work the way that we work. And our hope can get dashed because we had hope in something. But our our, our goal is, the biblical hope, is to have hope in Christ alone, to rest in him. And as we hope in him, we have a solid foundation. That led us then to peace last week. And we talked about the core idea that we have to receive peace, that we can't generate it. We can't organize our life enough to be peaceful, uh, to make peace. We have to receive from him. And then as we receive, we're able to proclaim And so today, we're going to enter into the fourth Advent theme of joy. And joy, um, I'm not going to take a long time to build a case because I don't think I really need to. Uh, Joy is in short order in our world. Um, We're a grumpy people. I don't know if you've noticed that. Um, And by we, I mean you and me, all of us, right? We're just, we're grumpy. We're grumpy about big things. Like, I'm not sure the direction the world's going. I just can't understand what these kids are doing. These are that kind of grumpy, right? And we're also grumpy because, these kids, sorry, I'm, I'm just, anyway. Uh, and we're grumpy because people take stuff from us that we believe is rightfully ours. Like the space that I have in the lane that someone took by cutting in front of me, right? Like I was there for 10 whole seconds. I own that lane now. Why are you getting in front of me? That, that kind of thing. We're grumpy about stuff. And this is a fun time of year for me because I am a, a twisted person. Um, the, the news outlets this time of year work so hard to come up with some kind of good news story to tell, right? It's like it's, they, they want to like boost you at the holiday season. So like nine, whether it's a news broadcast or a, a news feed or a website or whatever, like 98% of it is big picture macro bad news, right? Like the economy's tanking and the war in Ukraine and global warming or global freezing this morning, whatever it is that we're going through. Like there's all this bad stuff going on, right? And then we want to get a good story. And so there's this family in Peoria, Illinois who adopted a dog and it was really nice. And you're like... (laughs) Okay, that's great, but it's like if, if you're not that family in Peoria, Illinois, who really cares, right? It's like this. It, so you have the macro anti joy, and then you have the micro joys. The case I want to try to build for you this morning is that Christmas is the inverse of that story. That because of Jesus, 
we have macro joy. In fact, in the words of the scriptures you're going to hear in just a minute, mega joy. We, we have this overflow of joy. And along the way, there are micro bumps in the road that seem really, really big in the moment. Suffering and difficulties and trials that are tough, re- really tough. But in comparison to the macro joy of what God is doing in the world, they really are just bumps in the road in the scope of eternity. And with that, I want us to listen to perhaps the most famous of the Christmas stories, the one that you probably know. If you uh, associate any portion of the gospel with Christmas, it's probably Luke chapter 2. It's a very, very familiar passage. And so I'm going to ask you to listen. Emma is going to come and read for us Luke chapter 2. And as she does, I want you to try to listen as though you're hearing this very familiar passage for the first time. Imagine the scene. Imagine the angels coming and speaking. Imagine this message being proclaimed. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quinarius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went from Galilee to the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who is with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swathing clothes and lying in the manger. And suddenly, with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angel went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Thank you. Would you pray with me? Jesus, on this beautiful Christmas morning, would you speak to our hearts through your word? Would you give us the grace to settle our spirits and our minds and to listen, to listen to your spirit speaking? God, we long to be people who are marked by joy. We long to be people who bring joy to others in the world around us. And so, God, would you fill us and do that work in us? Guard my words that they would come from you alone, that the words that come from my flesh would fall to the ground and be forgotten, but the words that come from your spirit would remain, that they would penetrate our hearts, that they would change us so that we would be more like you. And so speak, Lord. Your servants are listening, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. In 1969, there was a song released by an artist named Peggy Lee. For those of you who were alive in the 60s, I would just like to say your taste in music was suspect. That's uh, not, 
It's not a great song. I listened to it this week. I was going to play you a little bit of a, a clip of it, and it was really just so bad that it would have been distracting. So I'm going to just give you lyrics instead. You can Google it on your own at your own risk. I warned you. Uh, the, in this song, Peggy Lee, uh, in Peggy Lee's song, Is That All There Is? This is the chorus. Over and over and over again, she sings this chorus. Is that really all there is? If that's all there is, my friends, then let's keep dancing. Let's break out the booze and have a ball. Is that really all there is? As bad as the song is, it's a haunting question. I think it caught on because of that haunting question, that question that if we're honest, we've all asked at various times, is this really all there is? Like we've been through Christmas before. We know New Year's is coming, then it's gonna be the dark of winter and then it's gonna to come to spring and we're gonna continue through this cycle over and over and over. Is that really all there is? I'm gonna to go to work and I'm gonna come home from work and I'm gonna make dinner. I'm gonna clean some stuff up and I'm gonna to go to bed and I'm gonna to go to work. Is that really all there is? Is this all there is to it? Professor Andrew Del Banco in his book, The Real American Dream, wrote this. Hope is the way that we overcome the lurking suspicion that all our getting and spending amounts to fidgeting while we wait for death. It's a really happy book. You should read it. It's really, it's good stuff. Merry Christmas, everybody. You should, it's good stuff. But a great question, right? Is all this is, is fidgeting till we wait for death? We're getting and spending and doing and uh, spinning around in circles while we wait to not be doing that anymore? Is that really all there is? The case the angel makes is that God has broken into reality in a way that gives meaning to the mundane, that brings beauty into all of the details of our lives, that uh, circle over and over and over again, that we aren't just fidgeting until death, but we've actually been invited into real purpose and meaning. And so I want to dig into one specific verse. Right in the center of the passage that Emma read, in verse 10, it's the initial declaration of the angels. Let me read it for you once again. The angel said to the shepherds, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. Those three things that I want to look at this morning, good news, great joy, and all people. What's the good news? Well, that word uh, that the angel speaks, uh, that's recorded for us in Greek, and the word is euangelion. It's actually the word that gets translated into evangelism or uh, evangelist in English. It's kind of the root word for that. Uh, and it's not originally a, a religious word. It was actually more of a political social word. Uh, the, the euangelion, the, the good news, was the, uh, the idea that something had changed in a broad way that impacted everyone. So a herald would come out with the good news, and the herald would proclaim, for instance, um, there's a royal baby born into the royal household, or a new king has been crowned, or a battle has been won, and because of the battle being won, we all have a different kind of life now. That kind of declaration is made. It's good news. Well, what's the, the euangelion, the good news that the angel speaks? Well, it's specifically there in verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, that statement we could have spent the entire month of December on, so we're not going to dig deep into that. 
But there are, there are a couple things in there that are really important. And the last word, Lord, in Greek is kyrios, and it would have been a very common word for Romans to use in a variety of different settings. They would have, for instance, called Caesar Lord. They would have referenced part of the Roman pantheon as lords. But for a first century Jewish person, that word was not used in that way ever. It was used only in one way, and that was to, to represent the God of the universe. The creator God of all, the only God, the one God, is the only Lord. And so when the angel says that the good news is a savior is born to you this day and he is Christ the Lord, what he is saying to these shepherds is that the eternal God of the universe, the creator God, the only God, has become a baby and has come to earth to be one of us which is incredibly profound. But I recognize as I say it, it's not incredibly profound to us because everybody, whatever your background is, has heard that before. Like, you're not surprised that we're talking about God coming to earth as a baby when you come to a Christmas service. That's why you're here. Like, you know that. And you know it so much that it's become literally an almost trillion dollar industry in the United States alone. Christmas is a big deal. And because Christmas is such a big deal, it's hard to keep profound what is profound, that God became one of us and not trivialize it like we trivialize everything else. So I want to show you a few examples of over-trivialized Christmas to try to make the point of how challenging it is for us to keep the profound nature of Jesus coming as Lord. Uh, let me show you the first one. That's the dog nativity. So um, you, you may, if you have that in your home, I'm sorry. I, there was a cat nativity, but that's heresy. I could not possibly show you that. So I actually stayed far away from that one. But that, that's the dog nativity. That, that's a nice one. Show the next one. Uh, the s'mores nativity. I really like that. Uh, it's both holy and delicious. It's very nice. Yeah, I like that. That's good. Uh, the next one's great. This is the Irish nativity. I, I don't know all the specifics of the Irish nativity, but the second wise man is bringing Guinness to the, uh, to the nativity scene. That's uh, it's an interesting twist. I've, I've never heard it that way, but an interesting. This one's highly creative. This is the frog nativity, and there are frogs. I mean, there's like 20 frogs that make up the camel. I mean, this is very, this is a high level of creativity, but this is my favorite one. Um, th this is the meat nativity. <laughs> just imagine pulling that out of the oven later today, right? Like just, hey, here, here we are. We have the bacon stable and the little sausages for Mary and Joseph. Like it's, it's wild, right? It, it's hard when... There's such a thing as the meat nativity to take seriously the profound nature of God becoming man. But here's the thing. You may or may not believe it's true, but we all should be able to agree that it's not trivial. Whether it actually happened or it didn't actually happen, the idea that God would become man is far from trivial, it is deeply significant. And for the angels, that was the heart of the good news declaration. They didn't just say it was good news, they said it was good news of great joy, literally mega joy, they said. It's a, that Greek word that is a, kind of an over-the-top joy uh, that literally is where we get the word mega. It's a, a reaction of something that we've waited for for a long time that is an overflow of joy because it's actually happened. So you have to think about the original audience. The shepherds are the ones who are hearing this good news of great joy. 
Now, there's a lot of speculation as to specifically who the shepherds were. Obviously, they were in Bethlehem or right outside of Bethlehem. Bethlehem is about eight miles from Jerusalem. And so theologians speculate a bunch of different things, but one of the leading theories is that the shepherds were watching over sheep that as pilgrims came from all over the known world to Jerusalem for Passover, they would need to purchase a sheep, a lamb, that would be sacrificed as the Passover lamb. Because the Passover lamb had to be uh, unblemished. And if you make a trip over a couple months, even a couple weeks, to get to Jerusalem, you're likely to uh, have blemishes all over your entire party, right? It's kind of the way it works. And so in order to have an unblemished lamb, they would purchase a lamb close to Jerusalem, say eight miles from Jerusalem on the Bethlehem Hill. And so quite literally, these shepherds may have been watching over the flocks that would be representing the, the fact that God has rescued his people in the past and the fact that God will again rescue his people in the future. This kind of in-between longing and so when the angel shows up and said, this is good news of great joy, there's this overflow of them because they've been waiting. And when the angel says, here's the message, that Christ is born, that a Savior has been born and his name is Christ the Lord, that term Christ would have popped out to them because Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew Messiah, the idea that there would be one who would come and establish rule. This was a, a political uh, king-like idea, that there would be a, a ruler who would come, and that ruler would come and, and take charge, lead into uh, the kingdom. It's, it's interesting that 30 years later, as Jesus is teaching, he uses that imagery of the kingdom over and over and over again. Over 50 times in the Gospel of Matthew, he talks about the kingdom. And he talks about the kingdom as both a future and present reality. That the kingdom of God, the rule and the reign of God, things being as God's desired for them to be, which is a, a simple definition of the kingdom, that that's happening now and that will happen fully in the future. Theologians call that the already and not yet of the kingdom. That there's an already aspect of the kingdom, and there's a not yet aspect of the kingdom. It's like Jesus came into our world and grabbed hold of the future kingdom and yanked it back into the present. And as the church, we get the opportunity to live into that kingdom, to be people of joy and of peace and of hope and of love in the middle of a worldly kingdom that's moving another direction. And so the question is, how do we become those kinds of people? And while I would love to take the next half hour or so and answer that for you, uh, that's not on the agenda for this morning. So I'm just gonna tell you one simple way, and that is this. We become people of joy by being close to the source of joy. As we get close to God himself, who is joy, we receive joy as an overflow from him. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, said it this way. Good things, as well as bad, you know, are caught by a kind of infection. I had to save this quote, because over the last couple of years, it would have been a little tense, but I, we're, we're okay now, right? Infection is still, okay. anyway, uh, it's caught by a kind of infection. If, if you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. They're not a sort of prize which God could, if he chose, just hand out to anyone. 
They are a great fountain of energy and beauty spurting up at the very center of reality. If you're close to it, the spray will wet you. If you're not, you will remain dry. How do we become people of joy? By being close to the God who is joy. By drawing close to Jesus and receiving the spray of the joy of the goodness of God. How do we get there? Well, the kingdom of God is very simply the place where Jesus is in charge. Where Jesus, what Jesus says and desires goes. So when you and I live a life that Jesus is in charge of, when we live a life submitted to him, the kingdom of God is in us, and the kingdom of God is working through us. So who's that available for? Well, the angel says really clearly, this is good news of great joy for all people. Not just Jewish people, not just wealthy or well-connected people, not just Torah-observant people, not just well-behaved people or even nice people, all people, broken people, sick people, messed up people, people who have cycles of sin that they can't get out of, people who have stories that go way back and are really, really complicated, all kinds of different people, people who seem disqualified and people who seem themselves to be qualified are all invited in, all people. For Jewish people, the original hearers, this would have been frustrating because of them, right? There's, there's kind of the us and the them of the world, and, and they would have been frustrated because as Jewish people, their sense was the kingdom of God belongs to the people of God, that's us, they're not invited. So the problem was them. It's interesting how 2,000 years later, that has flipped around. For most of us, the problem is not them. For most of us, the problem is me. And here's what I mean. I know me. You're probably better than I think you are. But I know me. I'm broken. I'm messed up. I'm sinful. I am disqualified. In whatever reason, for whatever way, I don't deserve it. I become the problem. And yet, this is a message for all people, for all of us, however you come and however disqualified you feel, and however broken and messed up your life is, you're invited in. Now when I say that, I'm not saying that entering into the kingdom means that everything's going to be great all the time. What I'm saying is as we enter into the kingdom, we learn to hold together suffering and joy at the same time. That we're people who can suffer with joy, who can struggle with joy, who can bear sickness with joy, who can go through trials while remaining in joy. And that's available to everybody, right where you are, in the midst of all of the mess and in the midst of all of the goodness. And if you're not sure about it, my invitation is actually the words of the shepherds. So as the angel finished speaking, this is in verse 15, the shepherds said, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. I would simply say to you, if you think, I'm just not sure that, that, that I'm qualified, that I'm invited, I would simply say, come and see. And by come and see, I don't mean just today. I mean six weeks from now and six months from now. Press into the community of faith. Press into the heart of Jesus and see if you don't receive the love that he promises you.
press in and see. And over time, you'll find, I believe, as the shepherds did, that the message of the angels is truly the message that this isn't all there is. That we're not just fidgeting around waiting for death. But there's actually something truly profound that we get to be a part of. That we've been invited in to this incredible story and that our, our, our real response is the ultimate response of the shepherds. Verse 20, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. That the overflow of our lives is that there really is purpose and meaning and hope and joy. In John chapter 10, Jesus said to his disciples, the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come, Jesus has come, that you would have life to the full, or some translations say abundant life. Real meaning, real joy. That's what's available to us at Christmas. And that's what I mean by saying there's a macro joy with a bunch of micro bumps along the way. That uh, the, the, the world has shifted because Jesus has come. And now we have the privilege of entering into that. So I want to pray over us that this would mark a season of abundant life, of joy in us as a body, that we would draw close and that we would receive what he has for us. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I recognize that in this room and online, there are people who are coming from all kinds of different backgrounds with all kinds of different stories. And so I just simply pray that you would remind us that we are all part of that phrase, all people. That we would come and see. That we would enter in to what you have for us. Whether that means that we've been holding you or the church community at arm's length for a long time, we need to enter in. Or if we've been far away and feel you drawing us back. God, would you do your work by your spirit in us. And God, for those of us who have experienced the joy of your presence and your goodness, would you give us the grace to be people who declare it, who tell of your glorious work. And so Jesus, we praise you and we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.